Well, I'm so thankful that our pastor gave me the opportunity to speak to you today. And if you have your Bibles out and open, go ahead and find your way to Mark chapter 6. But I also need you to find Acts chapter 27 as well. We're going to flip back and forth between these two narratives as we continue with the second installment of our mini-series called In the Storms. Last week, as we introduced these messages, Pastor Doug spoke to us from the subject of who is this man with the focus of the person in the storm. So today I want to speak to you from the subject of what is the meaning and focus in on the purpose of the storm. And I want to frame this up by using the context of two different narratives in Scripture where we see storms taking place. So look at someone sitting beside you on the couch, in the recliner, in the pew next to you here. Yell at them in the kitchen if you have to and tell them to hang on. Because we're going back into the storm. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45, God's Word says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now flip over with me to Acts chapter 27. Let's take a look at the storm that Paul's in, starting in verse 13. It says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and settled on Crete, close to the shore. Paul right now is on his way to Rome with a group of sailors and soldiers. Verse 14, But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the surface, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. That will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, 
that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. It's November 13th. 2019, and Ashley is pregnant with Graham. And everything had been going along as planned for the most part. It wasn't too stressful or too hard of a labor. And I say that with all serious ladies because I know there's probably no such thing as an easy pregnancy. I mean, that is a tremendous responsibility that you guys carry. But everything had been going pretty well. She hadn't had any complications. Graham seemed to be doing good. And at week 34, she went in for just a standard non-stress test to make sure that everything was going good. As it so happened, we were planning on having our barn bash event with our college students on the day in which she was doing this. So I'm running around here at the church. I'm making like two massive crock pots of chili, which was interesting enough as it was because I had never myself actually made chili before. But it actually worked out quite well. So I'm I'm trying to get things ready here at the church. And I get a phone call from my wife at the doctor's office while she's getting her stress test done. She says, hey, I I don't want to worry you or get you stressed out. But I was just going to let you know that they're doing my stress test and my blood pressure's been high. And my wife struggles with chronic hypertension, has for a long time. And so we kind of expected that this might be something that we run into. So she said she would let me know if anything else changed. So... Of course, you know, I'm not too worried at this point because this is kind of what we expected to happen. So I go about my day and still trying to get things ready for barn bash. And then later in the afternoon, I get another call saying, hey, my blood pressure is not really coming down. It still kind of keeps creeping up. So they're going to keep me here for a little bit longer at the hospital and make sure everything's okay. So I'm like, all right, fine. Maybe it'll come down and it won't be that big of an issue. So I continue getting things ready. We're getting closer and closer to time to, to head out to the barn for our party with the college students and I get another call back saying, hey, they've decided to admit me to the hospital because my blood pressure still just isn't coming down and they want to monitor me overnight. So at this point, I hand off all the responsibility to Brother Matt and some of our life support leaders of my college group to say, hey, Barnbash is y'all's. I can't make it tonight. Ashley's being admitted to the hospital. So we get to the hospital and they monitor her all night. They're checking her blood pressure periodically. And needless to say, it wasn't a very restful night for either one of us, and it never really came down. They could get it to lower some, but it would creep right back up. And we did this at North Alabama Medical Center for two days, and then they decided they were going to send her by ambulance to Huntsville Hospital because it just wasn't looking like it was going to get any better. And so we get to Huntsville Hospital, and they get her all hooked up, and they're doing their best to, to get as many days possible as they can because, remember, we're still just at 34 weeks right now. 
So Ashley's blood pressure still continues to creep up, and then they would manage to get it back down. And we, we did this ebb and flow, this seesawing back and forth for, I think, three or four days while we were there at Huntsville Hospital. And seeing my wife constantly hooked up to a machine, constantly being monitored, bells always going off the moment that her blood pressure would get to a certain ceiling, an alarm would go off on the machine. So when that's constant all throughout the night, and just knowing that, that she's not doing good, seeing her not feeling well, at the same time, concerns going for Graham, as we get closer to the time where it looks like we're going to have to deliver early. And so we eventually get to the point where they decide, you know, we can't, we can't keep her at this point any longer. She's not going to get any better. It's not going to be any better for the baby. And so they decide to induce labor. And so they take us to labor and delivery from the room that we were in. And we begin the induction process. And to make a long story short, and I will kind of wrap it up at the end when I tie this back into how it relates to our message this morning, that was a very stressful thing because it, it, it wasn't an easy thing to see my wife go through that. It wasn't an easy thing to all of a sudden realize that, hey, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. They rush her down the hallway and they leave me standing outside the doors wondering what's going to happen. So it wasn't an easy thing for us to have to endure. It wasn't an easy thing for me to be able to see her go through or to worry or be concerned about my child and about my wife, and I can't tell you how many times during the night while we were at those hospitals, because we spent right around two weeks all together in the hospital with each other, and I can't tell you how many times during the night I laid in the hospital, hospital room asking God, what is the meaning? What is the meaning of this? Why is this happening to us? We'd had several other friends have babies already, and by all accounts, it was kind of a smooth process. They talked about the joy of being there when their kid was born, but that wasn't us. And in the midst of all this going on, I keep asking, why, God? Why, why is this happening to us? What is the purpose that you have in this for us? And every single one of us has, currently is, or will at some point in time ask God those same questions when we encounter a storm in this life. And I want to share with you what he has made known to me through Scripture and my own stormy experiences concerning his purpose in allowing storms to enter into our lives. And I think one of the first purposes that I learned is that he allows storms to happen in the hopes that it will heighten our awareness of his presence. If you go back into Mark chapter 6 with me for a moment, look back in verse 48. And I just want to rehash the story a little bit because I know we ran through a lot of scripture right there. It says that he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by, but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. So as the disciples are battling this storm, Jesus shows up walking on the water. And the next part, I think, very often gets misunderstood by people when they read this passage. The text tells us that Jesus meant to pass by them, which people have taken to mean that Maybe Jesus was trying to just slip past them unnoticed. But that's not the case here. Trust me, if, if the creator of the universe wanted to win a game of hide-and-seek, I'm quite possible that he could remain hidden for us as long as he wanted to. When it says that Jesus meant to pass by them, it means that Jesus meant to pass by them in a way that they would intentionally see his presence going by. He wanted his disciples to see him Coming. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a moment. Go back over to Acts chapter 27 with me and look in verse 22. Paul's on the ship with the soldiers and the sailors, and it's being tossed back and forth, and he's 
struggling to, to understand what is going on, and they're probably scared to death that they're going to end up losing their life. But Paul says this in verse 22, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. In the middle of the storm that Paul is going through, he testifies to God's presence being with them. He wanted his disciples to see him coming when they were in the sea. He wanted Paul to know that he was with them in the ship and the storm that he's facing on his way to Rome. Once again, God is very intentional in making his presence known. Listen, when you're going through a storm, when you encounter a storm, God is very intentional about making his presence known to you in the midst of that storm. We saw in the storm last week that the disciples went through that our pastor spoke about, that Jesus was in the boat with them. His presence was there. Never do I see an encounter in Scripture with a storm that people are going through that you don't also see God's presence there with those people. He is intentionally wanting you to see His presence even in the midst of everything else that is going on. You know, the reality is God's presence is always with us. But I've learned that sometimes when the seas are smooth and the skies are clear, we don't always look for it like we should. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us, but it seems like at times we seem to lose and forget Him. When the storm hit and Jesus stood on the water, the disciples became keenly aware of His presence. While Paul is holding on for his life and the angel of the Lord stood beside him, he became keenly aware of God's presence in the storm. In Genesis, when Jacob is battling a storm within his own family, he falls asleep, has a dream, wakes up and says, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I was not aware. What I'm trying to tell you is that God's presence only awaits your awareness. He's with you when the skies are clear, but he's also with you when you can't even see the stars. His presence goes before us. His presence is behind us. His presence stands beside us. His presence lives within us. Sometimes it just takes a storm for us to become aware again. But there's a second purpose that I found throughout my own experiences and that I see taking place in these guys' experience of why God allows storms to enter into our life. And that purpose is in the hopes that it will increase our desire to pray. Acts 27, back in Paul's account here, starting in verse 27, look at what he says. It says, When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. For 14 days, these men had been enduring this storm. Just imagine that. I know some people that get seasick the moment that the boat leaves the dock. These guys had been at sea in a storm, driven back and forth for 14 days straight with no reason for us to imagine that the storm had let up at all at any given point in time. So at this point, for some reason, the sailors think they're nearing shore. So they begin to take what's called a sounding. And in case you don't know what that is, it's just a rope that had a weight tied to it. They would throw it off the side of the boat and wait to see how far it would go down before it hit the bottom. 
They would reel it back up, throw it out again. If less rope went down, then they knew the water was getting shallower and shallower. And it was. Sure enough, the water was getting shallower and shallower, so they knew they were getting close to land somewhere. Close enough that, that they could tell the difference with the depth, but storming so hard that they couldn't see the land. But they knew that it was there. So the text tells us that they dropped four anchors and prayed for day to come. I had a childhood friend when I was growing up that cried every time it stormed. I mean cried like hysterically every time it stormed. At the first rumble of thunder, he would start whimpering. Just... And it used to drive me crazy because I would look forward to him spending, to, spending the night with his buddies. You know, we'd make a plan. Hey, you want to come over and spend the night at the house? Yeah, he would come over. I would pray that it wouldn't storm. Because if it did, he was going home. He was calling his parents, come pick me up. He was terrified of storms. And at the first sign of one, he would just begin to cry hysterically. Listen, sometimes it takes a storm to get us to cry out in prayer. The most intense storms of my life have also led to the most intimate seasons of prayer in my life. And I don't know what prayer means or look like for these guys. Nothing in the text leads us to believe that they were believers. But there is something intriguing about the anchors that they dropped that I want us to see together. Ancient ships at that time would have multiple anchors. Dropping them from the stern would steady the ship in a way that would keep it facing towards land. Listen, as an encouragement to you this morning, when we find ourselves in a storm, prayer is the anchor that God has given us to drop to keep us steady and facing the way out. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. To call upon means what? That we call out to him in prayer. Prayer is the anchor God has given us to drop to keep ourselves steady and facing the way out. Even if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see the land so you can swim to shore, God has given you an anchor to drop that will keep you facing the way of deliverance. Sometimes God sends storms for the purpose of soaking our prayer lives because they become a dry and desert place in our life. But I know some of you can relate to the fact that the most intimate seasons of prayer you've ever experienced have been during the most intense storms of your life because you didn't know what else to do. These guys, as far as we know, weren't even believers. But they dropped anchor and prayed for day to come. So maybe the purpose of your storm right now is to increase your desire to pray. Maybe part of the purpose of that storm is to realign your perspective which is another experience that I've seen when storms come into our life, is that God will bring a storm to realign our perspective. We've got to go back to Mark chapter 6 again. And starting in verse 50, we're still following along the disciples and their experience. It says, For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Why? We don't know. Because God had already done this same thing two chapters earlier. He caused the wind and the waves to stop. And they said, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. And yet he does it again and they're astounded. Why? 
I think for this reason, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. It is ever the inclination of our flesh to be narcissistic and self-centered. I know because I wear one. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 prior to this storm taking place. If you go back and read that account, the disciples weren't in a very good mood when that happened. They had been doing ministry with Jesus. They were tired from serving all the people. And Jesus says, hey, let's go away to a desolate place. Just me and you guys. Let's go away to a desolate place. And so they go up this mountainside, and they're going to have some alone time with Jesus. And all of a sudden, they turn around and look, and the crowds are following them right back up there. And everybody's complaining about how they're hungry. And so the disciples tell Jesus, Jesus, send them into town to get food. Tell them to go take care of themselves. We want some alone time with you. And Jesus says, I got a better idea. You guys feed them. At that moment, I think the disciples' hearts got hard. Because like I said, it is ever the inclination of our flesh to be narcissistic and self-centered. They'd already been serving these people. They wanted some alone time. How many of you can relate to having some space to yourself every now and then? Let's not be so quick to fault the disciples. Jesus says, you feed them. I think their hearts got hard. And they were like, we've been serving these people. We don't have, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to shell out all our money to buy all these people food? There's no way that we can do that, Jesus. And so Jesus performs the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And then get this. I think this gets mixed in the context sometimes. Jesus handed them the baskets to go and serve everybody. Now, some of y'all know I've been in food business, and it gets crazy during the rush hour at lunch or at supper. But just imagine there's 12 of you. There's multiple thousands of people out there, and Jesus says, here you go, pass it out. I think they walked around with their baskets thinking, here, you want some fish? Go get it. I think their hearts got hardened. They were upset. It didn't work out the way they wanted. They didn't spend time with Jesus. Their hearts were hardened. If They had shifted from service to selfish. And then after this happens, we see that Jesus made them get in the boat. Why? Because their perspective needed to be realigned. And it wasn't in a mean bitter kind of attitude that Jesus says, get in the boat. He made them get in the boat to go across the other side. He said, I, I, you, still, you guys need to learn still. The first storm didn't get it. Maybe this one will. Maybe this one will realign your perspective. Flip back over to, to Paul's experience, though, and we see something different. We see a man whose heart is aligned the way God wants it to be. In verse 33, it says, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Paul, in the midst of this storm, gathers the people to eat and says a blessing. In the middle of a storm, in the middle of the waves crashing against the boat, in the middle of the thunder and the lightning cracking, in the middle of the rain blowing sideways, Paul stands up on the boat, probably struggling to keep his balance because it's rocking back and forth so violently, and he says a blessing over the food. I think that's just a big deal because I don't know that I could, given the situation and the circumstances, 
stand up in the middle of a storm-tossed sea, take a piece of bread, and say a blessing in that moment. This is a radical faith kind of moment that Paul exhibits, and it happens because his perspective, even in the storm, is not on himself, but on the others in the storm with him. This is what I want you to see about perspective within the storm. When Paul did this, we're told that everyone on board was encouraged. It was day 15 at this point. Day 15 of being at sea in the middle of a storm, wondering if you're going to survive or not, and everybody's encouraged. They should have been given up at this point. All hope should have been abandoned. They should have been ready to throw in the towel and say, well, I guess this is it. I guess this is just how we're going to go out. But it says that everybody was encouraged. Listen to me. Now, I understand storms aren't fun to go through. I wish we never had to go through any. And most of the times when they happen, we want them to be over as quickly as possible. But sometimes for His divine purposes, for the glorification of His name and the expansion of His kingdom, God will choose not to eliminate your storm, but extend your storm so you can shout encouragement over the storm. But that's tough, isn't it? As soon as the storm starts, we want it to end. But God says, for my purposes, for my glory, for the people that I have placed around you in the storm also, I have to extend it so that you can encourage. What does it say to the world around us when a young couple after their second miscarriage still stands and gives thanks? What does it say when a believer who is in their third year of battling cancer still stands up and gives thanks to God. What does it say to the world around us when a parent, even five years removed from the tragic loss of a child, still stands and gives thanks to God's goodness in the midst of all that? That's the perspective that we have to have. That's what God tries to show us through the purpose of these storms. Sometimes He allows storms to show us that we can still be thankful in the midst of a typhoon. That we can still give encouragement through the way that we endure. So maybe you're battling the storm right now because God says your perspective's gotten off a little bit. And even in the midst of the storm, it's not about self. It's about the others and they're with you. And what better way to be light to people than for God to put light in the midst of a dark place? But there's one last thing that I want you to see. I want you to please watch this with me. We're at the end. You've hung with me for this long. Please don't miss this Part. Sometimes the purpose of God allowing a storm to enter in our life is to bring opportunity for us to proclaim. Go back to the disciples. The storm at this point is over with. They're coming out of the other side of it. Verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. Back over to Paul. Paul ends up floating to shore on a broken piece of the ship, but he makes it there, and so does the rest of the crew. 
And they crawl up on the beach, and chapter 28 says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Just a side note as well of encouragement. I've never seen believers go through a storm that God didn't bring them through. The place that He brings you to just might vary. It says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. I mean, some things you just have to laugh at in Scripture. Like, Paul can't get a break, right? Everybody, this is, this is the ultimate obliteration of the prosperity gospel right here. Is that God allowed one of his servants, who wrote more than half of the New Testament, to be shipwrecked and swim to shore on a broken piece of plank, then finally get out on the bank and get bit by a snake. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entered us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. When we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. In both instances, neither the disciples nor Paul ended up in the place that they were destined for. The disciples at the beginning were trying to get to Bethsaida. They ended up in Gennesaret. Paul at the beginning was trying to get to Rome, but he ended up on Malta. In both instances, the storm seemed to push these believers off the correct course. But I want you to remember something. God's ways are always higher than ours. Listen to me. God will put us through storms for the sake of getting the gospel to places and people it might not have otherwise reached. They weren't supposed to go to Gennesaret. Paul wasn't supposed to be in Malta. I'm not supposed to be in this hospital bed. I'm not supposed to experience this divorce. God, you're not supposed to allow tragic accidents to happen in my life. I'm trying to serve you. I was talking to Pete Peden this week in preparation for this message, and he shared a story with me about his former wife, Miss Carolyn, and her battle with cancer. And he says, when we were going through all that and she was doing the chemo and the radiation and it was just eating up her body, we would go to those visits and he would sit in a chair beside her just to bring comfort when she needed it. But he says time and time again we would go to those treatments and she would sit in that chair and even in the midst of the chemo and the radiation, she'd be smiling. And she says one day we're having the treatments done and he says this lady walks by and he looks in and he sees... 
She sees Carolyn sitting in a chair and she's just smiling away. And the lady says, I don't see how you can smile while they're putting that poison in your body. And Pete told me that Carolyn looked at him and said, Pete, I love you, but I'm going to need you to get up because that lady needs your seat for a moment. And she had her sit down in the midst of a cancer treatment and began to proclaim to that woman, even in the midst of this storm, how great her God was and how he was giving her the strength to continue to smile in the face of a storm. What kind of impact would it make on the world around us if believers smiled during their storms and proclaimed still of the goodness of God and His greatness in our lives and how even though things might be wasting away outwardly and physically, we are day by day being renewed inwardly. When me and Ashley were going through all that we did with trying to get Graham into this world, I can tell you this much. That was a Storm that I wish we would have never encountered. I wish everything would have been smooth. I wish it would have never happened the way that it did. I wish I could have stood by the bedside of my wife and watched as she gave birth to our son. I wish she could have had those kind of memories to where when he came out, she heard a first cry. I wish she could have had those kind of memories to where when he came out, they placed him on her chest instead of putting him in a carriage and rushing him up to the NICU. I wish she could have had those things. I wish we could have shared those things together. And I didn't understand it in the midst of while it was happening. And very rarely do we see the purpose while we're in the midst of the storm. But after it was over with, I can tell you guys this much. I became aware of God's presence in every single room of that hospital. I became aware of the fact that He wanted to enhance my prayer life to a level that it had never gotten to before. I became aware of the fact that He changed my perspective. And the fact that it wasn't just me that, it was, that it was going through this. It wasn't just Ashley that was going through this. It wasn't just Graham that was going through this. But it was all the other people in the NICU that were sitting around us going through the same exact thing. And I became aware of the fact that He wanted us to proclaim His goodness. Even in the midst of that storm that we were going through to the people that He had put in our lives. Whether it was a hurting mom and dad watching their son sit in an incubated tank where they couldn't even touch him physically, whether it was a doctor that came in the room, whether it was a nurse that came in the room, God had us there to proclaim, even in the midst of the storm, I am still good, I am still loving, I am still gracious, I am still merciful. And let me tell you, even if he had decided to take my wife and my kids, I pray that my strength would have been strong enough to continue to say, he's still good. His ways are higher than my ways. And if this is what He has to do to bring glory to Himself and draw souls unto Himself and expand His kingdom, then so be it. Take everything else away. Bust the ship up. I'll go to the shore on a plank if that's all I have. But I will still proclaim when I wash up on the beach that my God is good. Cancer, tragic accidents, divorce, job loss, rebelling kids, a pandemic. God, what is the meaning of these things? What is your purpose behind them? It's because He wants us to see Him even though it's dark. It's because He wants us to cry out even though the wind is howling. It's because He wants us to encourage others that are in the same storm. It's because He wants us to proclaim His salvation even though the ship is breaking. That's the purpose. That's his reason. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that he will impact your life.
If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.